right. Thank you for being in here. I appreciate it so much. I understand we do not have a handout, so I can say anything I want to say now, and you don't even know what I was planning on saying. And uh, so that uh, that's great relief, right? But uh, it's good to be here. I'm glad that you're here. I am so thankful for Brother Chapel and uh, for the ministry that God has given him here at, at uh, Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College. And our ministry has been a recipient of that uh, as we've had students here and we've used their curriculums. And uh, I just, uh, I couldn't say enough about uh, the good that I believe God is doing uh, in and through this ministry. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be able to speak uh, to you this morning, afternoon, whatever it is. My, I'm still on East Coast time, so it's almost three o'clock. Uh, but uh, but I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity and I just want to share from my heart. Um, I, if, if I have a burden outside of, of, um, of my own life, it's a burden to help families. And uh, my dear wife is here. Uh, Sharon and I have been married 43 years now. And uh, we are very grateful. Both of our sons are here. They serve on our staff, Tim and Philip. We have one daughter. I usually tell people when I'm out preaching, we have two boys and one normal child. And uh, so, but those, those children are all married. And uh, if you follow my wife at all, you know that they have blessed us with eight cute kids. That's what she calls our grandchildren. And uh, so they all have their own number from the oldest to the youngest. So when Nana says, take a picture, they line up in chronological birth order uh, because that's just the way they're referred to. Number one, number two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. And uh, no greater joy than to, than to have a family outside of knowing the Lord yourself. Oh, we've got the handout. Oh, thank you. Now then, I'm going to have to go back to what I was originally planning to do in here. So uh, but anyway, they've got them here, so they'll get them to you, all right? Um, let, let me just kind of find out my audience here. How many of you are pastors? You're senior pastors. Okay, all right. How many of you serve on staff somewhere at a church? All right. And uh, how many of you are missionaries, evangelists, church planners? Okay. How many of you, how many of you are married? Oh, that's a, well, how many of you want to be married? Okay, I, I knew, I knew David would at least join that crowd. Benjamin, right? I, I knew, I knew they would join that crowd. And uh, if there's any available women right after service, come down. Uh, I've, I've got a marriage license in my back pocket and we could, we could do something today and help you. But uh, how, how many of you have children? How many of you have children? Keep your hand up if you still have children in your home. Ours are down. Okay. All right. How many of you have grandchildren? Amen. Aren't they wonderful? You know, uh, I, uh, I heard this great grandchild, what I thought was a great grandchild statement made when I didn't have grandchildren. And so not long after our first grandchild was born, I was out preaching somewhere and Sharon was with me. And, um, and, and I just thought it was very funny. And, and so I, I decided I'd share it and I shared it. And we got in the car that night and she said, don't you ever say that again? I say, say what? She said about what you said about the grandkids, the things you like is the headlights and the taillights. She said, that ain't funny. That ain't funny. And here I have. I've gone and told it again. But anyway, uh, but, but I can tell it now like I'm not supposed to tell it. You understand? Some of you understand that. You know, I can understand Brother Chapel last night. You know, I just don't want to embarrass my boys. I don't want Tim and Philip to leave here today and think, Dad, you shouldn't have, you know, whatever it is. 
uh, but, uh, but I'm grateful. So um, I'm going to have to take my glasses on and off. I've had a little eye injury a few months ago. Brother Norris and I were together in a meeting, and, and I had an eye injury, and he had a bad leg. So we just uh, we said maybe one of us will get the other one inside the building, and maybe if one of us falls down while the other one's preaching, the other one can take over. So, uh, so I, I, I'll take my glasses off to read what I need to read, and I'll put my glasses on to see you. So if I don't have my glasses on, that means I have no idea what you're doing. You can be making faces at me, whatever you want to do, it'll be fine. All right. Well, let's go to first Peter, ah, first Peter, first Timothy chapter number three, first Peter chapter number three. And I'm been asked to speak on the subject, strong families in every season of ministry, strong families in every season of ministry. And I want us to begin our time together and hopefully I'm prayerfully, I'm going to, um, be able to have a time where Brother Norris and I can answer some questions. I'm going to work on that as hard as I can. So it's be through in here by 1230. So I will, will work on it. All right. First Timothy chapter three, verse one, Paul says under inspiration of God's spirit, this is a true saying. If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. And what a powerful parenthetical thought in verse five. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how can he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall in the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Would you pray with me? Father, help us. These few moments, I want to be an encouragement, strength, help to these men, these ladies. I pray today that all of us who are married and those of us who have children, grandchildren, we would understand the influence and investment that we can make, not just in what's happening today, but what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen in the next few years, what's going to happen in the next century if Jesus doesn't come back. And so I pray, Lord, you'd make this time profitable and helpful in Jesus' name. Amen. Statement number one, your next statement number one, our lives ebb and flow as our family and ministry grow through the seasons of life. You know, I, uh, I tell people often that Sharon and I have been through several seasons of marriage, several seasons of ministry. Uh, I had the privilege just back talking with these, these uh, dear fellows from Waco, Texas. I had the privilege to serve on staff at the same church for 16 years. In just a few weeks, I'll be the pastor of that church now 25 years. So Sharon and I have spent 41 years of our life at Beacon Baptist Church. And we, we've been through all kinds of seasons, seasons of marriage. There were just two of us when we started. And uh, then there became three of us, and then four of us, and then five of us. And my philosophy of marriage was probably a little off back then. I thought we'd go back to four and back to three and back to two. Uh, there's only two of us living in the house. I thank God for that. But, uh, but we went from five to six to seven to eight to nine to ten, and we're up to 16 now. 
And so when you gather the clan together, it is a good-sized clan. I mean, we can't even ride in a 15-passenger van. We were on vacation a couple years ago and needed to rent a van on Sunday to go to the Lord's house. And I couldn't even put us all in a 15-passenger van legally, Brother Smith. I had to, had to rent two vehicles to get us all to, all to church. And, uh, and you know, it's just, a, it's just a wonderful thing to see those seasons of life. And, and those seasons of ministry, and you know, every, every profession has different seasons of time in their lives. You think about a military family when they have someone go off on a tour of duty or a law enforcement family in a time of maybe severe threat in their community or a doctor's family who gets called out on, uh, on night, in the nights for emergency. Yet, as a pastor, and that's primarily where I'm focusing my thoughts this afternoon, we, we face multiple pressures and sometimes all at the same time. There can be something physically happening with us and at the same time we'd be under great financial duress at the church. There may be something that's hurting with us emotionally and at the same time there's someone in our church who's experienced the most devastating news they've ever heard. You know, it, it can just happen so quickly. Sharon and I, a few weeks ago, we were on the way to Botswana, and, and um, we got on the flight out of Washington, D.C., and making our way to, um, to Ethiopia, that leg, 13 hours, and about five hours in that flight, I got a text that one of our good men, man that I have loved dearly, saw come to know the Lord and live for the Lord, and gone home to be with Jesus at 64 years of age. He was gone. Boy, that, that's, that puts a, you, you, if you're a pastor, you understand what kind of, you, you think, oh man, I need to, I need to be, I need to be in Raleigh <laughs> and I'm going to Botswana, you know, and I'm going to have to get there and begin immediately figure out how to get back home quickly. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just all kinds of, all kinds of things that we face and, and a lot of them at the same time. And, and when we do, that leads to increased time uh, demands for our time. It, it, it increases the need for godly wisdom and understanding to know how to respond to all of those situations. Yet at the same time, maintain our home. Maintain our marriage. Love our children. Lead our family. See, we, we, we all have the desire to be both faithful in our families as well as fruitful in our ministries. All, all of us this morning understand that we, we want to we wanna be faithful in what God's given us at our home and at the same time be fruitful in the ministry God's given us. We, we all have to juggle the needs of our families and the needs of our flocks. And sometimes that constant pressure can be overwhelming. But can I just encourage us? And I know this is the emphasis of my time with you and somebody else get up and emphasize something else. I mean, after hearing Brother Chapel, I thought about counseling this and all of us just go soul winning. But anyway, can I just say to you, if you don't have a marriage, you don't have a ministry. And if you don't have your family on board, your flocks will soon be dispersed. 
I, I'm afraid in my generation, and there's some guys in this room that are my generation. I, I'm afraid we put an undue emphasis on the flock over the family. I remember an older preacher, my matter of fact, Brother Dave Cox is my, my preacher's son. And it's his father-in-law. I, I remember him making a statement years ago about a preacher whose home disintegrated. And this is what he said about him. I've never forgotten it. He said, you know what he was? He was an eagle in the pulpit, but he was a buzzard at the house. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to fail that lady, and I don't want to fail those two boys and that daughter and their, their, their mates and those eight grandchildren. Listen to me. I, I, I'd, I'd, ra- I'd rather die than to disappoint them. I was at Tom Farrell's funeral. Last year, Brother Farrell and I were, had just become best of friends. And I heard his daughter. It'd be worth you finding that funeral and just listen to his daughter's Becky's testimony, how she told about one night at the age of 13, on and off that RV every night. And she made a statement to her mom that she was tired of. Back in those days, it was Sunday morning through Friday night, get an RV Saturday and go somewhere else and start again. And she said, I'll never forget my dad sitting down with me. And she said, I knew he was honest and sincere. And he said, Becky, if the only way you can live for the Lord and love the Lord is for me to quit preaching and get off the road, I'm willing to do that. Wow. So let's talk about three thoughts this afternoon quickly. Number one, the demands. The demands. You know, I, I understand those, those demands that never seem to cease, never seem to quit. I'm going to give you six statements. We won't be able to spend much time on them. But number one, as men in ministry, our life is often consumed with meeting the needs of the people we serve. I think all of us in this room that are in ministry, whether you're pastor, staff member, missionary, church planner, whatever your role in life is, I think all of us understand that each of us constantly live under the pressure of God's people approving what we're doing. If you don't understand the fear of man, I'd love to sit down and talk with you right after this service. Would you please, please help me. We, we all understand that those needs can become overwhelming, that, that they can get out of control. And that innate desire to be liked, approved, accepted, whatever pr- word you want to use, sometimes can attack us in a stronger manner than our love for our wife and our children and our grandchildren. I, I have regularly struggled with the demand and felt the pressure of what will people in my church think if I'm gone on vacation. A few years ago, I made the decision. It's just Sharon and I now on most vacations. I made a decision that I was not only going to miss a Sunday, but the Sunday I came back, I was going to have somebody on our staff preach. 
You know why? Because for most of our lives, when we were on vacation about Wednesday or Thursday, I got into sermon mode. Because I had to have something to say Sunday. I didn't want to just say something. I wanted to have something to say. And I told Sharon, and I'll never forget the first year I did it, I stood up in my pulpit that next Sunday and I said, listen, I'm going to preach today. Preacher Cox is our pastor emeritus, Dr. Randy Cox. He's preaching today. He's preaching today because I've been out of town on vacation with Sharon and just the two of us have been gone for 12 days. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here and listen to him because I didn't want to be in sermon preparation. And multiple times that week, she said, thank you. I really appreciate you doing this. I know, I know it hurts you to not be in the pulpit two Sundays in a row. See, all, all of us, all of us sometimes have that struggle that comes to us because we, we just want to, we want, well, I want to feel like I'm making, an, I'm doing enough to make my paycheck, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Number two, we must be careful not to be caught up with the way our family appears to other people rather than about actually caring for our family. Now listen to me, here's, here's a, and I want to get to the good part, so I'm going to move on, but here, here's, a, here's a real thing that every one of us deal with. How's this going to appear? What's this going to look like? Because all of us do understand th that axiom of truth. Perception is reality in the mind of the pe person who perceives it. So how's this going to appear? What's this going to look like? That, that, that strong pull can lead to putting your family in a lower priority than they deserve. If you were to ask me my priorities in life, I have, I have five priorities in life. I often say at, at a funeral, I, I usually make a statement very similar to this. Life is relationships. If you wanted to, wanted to sum all of life down to one statement, I believe life is relationships. And, and so then I, I have five relationships. Those five relationships set the priority of my life. Number one, I have a personal relationship with the Lord. That is first and foremost. Number two, I have a partner relationship with my wife. N number three, I have a parental relationship with my children. Number four, thank God, I'm called Papa, so I have a Papa relationship with my, with my grandchildren. Didn't break my alliteration. And then I have a pastoral relationship with my people. But that is not only the five priorities, that's the proper order of those priorities. And I'm telling you, this pastoral one over here, it, it likes to take number one sometime. And it, it, it likes to say early in the morning, you really ain't got time to meet with God today. You got this and that and this surgery and that surgery. And I'm telling you, sometimes that parental role tries to take that partner role place. And that, that demand is always there. And, and we need to understand a statistic I just read. Uh, Dr. Rich, Richard Kircher, I think is the way you say his name, surveyed 1,000 pastors in America. 77% of them said they felt like they did not have a good marriage. 77%. I wonder, it's because... That they're a need for approval or their need for appearance has overtaken their love and desire for their own wife. Number three, the demand to be seen as successful may overwhelm the priority that must be given to our families. And, and listen to me, that, that demand to be successful comes 
twofold. Number one, it's self-induced. You know, I, I'm not one that believes that most pastors sit around doing nothing. I think probably I'm talking to some of the busiest people on the planet this, this morning. And, and there's a self-induced pressure to be successful, whatever you call successful. And, and then there's a pressure that comes from those without. I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from some of you. Because I, I want somebody to look at and say, look, he's whatever. You, you, you know how most of us measure ministry, which is a terrible measurement. May I tell every young preacher in here, preacher boy, it's a terrible, it is a terrible measurement of success. But you know how we've counted over the years? Noses and nickels. How many you got? How's the budget doing? You know, God taught me, oh, he taught me so many things during COVID, but he taught me one thing. Yeah. <laughs> the offer is not dependent on a plate. It's been over two and a half years since we passed the plate at Beacon Baptist Church. I don't know that we'll ever pass the plate again. But we've had the greatest two years in history giving. Last year, $588,000 given to world missions and over $2 million given to our general budget. Amen. Amen. Yes, and I, I thought you had to get that plate in front of them. That demand to be successful can, can mislead you. Number th four, an unhealthy need to be needed by the people in the congregation can drive a wedge between a pastor and his own family. An unhealthy need to be needed. That's the reason, that's the reason some of us struggle with not being at everything that goes on. I'm telling you, at a church, the, the church I pastor is a multi-ministry church. If I was at everything that went on, I'd never be at home. Maybe a few hours every night, you know, from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. But, but that need to be needed sometimes draws a wedge because you, you, know, you know what it causes your children to think? It causes your children to think that you being down there as the pastor or whatever, maybe a staff member, you, you being there is more important than you being with them. Number five, often the loneliest person in a church may be the pastor's wife who can even feel isolated from her husband. Now, I know that's not true in every pastor's home, but I'm telling you, I believe it is a far more common reality than what many of us realize. There's no doubt in my mind that many, many pastor's wives today are in a lonely place because their husbands spends an inordinate amount of time and effort on ministry rather than marriage. Let me tell you, you young couples, particularly you that have children in your home, there's going to come a day when there's just two of you there in the house. Yeah. You know, I, I, used to, I used to hear about couples being married 25, 30 years and getting divorced, and I'm thinking, what? I'm thinking in 25 or 30 years, I'll just be having Sharon taught what I think she needs to know about me. And then I realized 
they lost relationship with each other while their children were in their home. And they looked across the table or maybe like us on the other side of the dual recliner and thought, who are you? Fellas, you need to do something to help your wife. Not, not just spend time. I, I, don't, I don't encourage you. And I know, I know in church culture, sometimes it's hard to know who you can be open and honest and genuine and transparent with. Okay? I've been at the same place 41 years. So I know there's some people, if you tell them, they will tell everybody. Okay? But your wife needs an outlet where she can have some relationship, friendship, fellowship, whatever you want to call it, with another lady. And I suggest maybe in a couple relationships, it may be somebody outside church, maybe another pastor in your area, maybe a pastor lives away from you, maybe someone that, you can, that she can open up to and talk to and you and her work through things together. Everybody needs somebody that they can be open, honest, transparent with. Number six, the bottom line is that the temptation to follow these demands can deceive us into making decisions that will negatively, negatively affect our families. Could I remind all of us this morning, your home and my home is a spiritual battlefield. The devil don't, does not want to do anything but to steal and to kill and to destroy. Your marriage, your family. He, he wants to steal the hearts of your children away from you. He, he wants to drive a wedge between you and your husband or wife. And the bottom line is... Many times we get our eyes off of the real need. It isn't it interesting that when the Apostle Paul gives the longest instruction about marriage and family in Ephesians 5, he does it in the context of the fullness of the Spirit. Because a Christian home is not where two Christians or four Christians or eight Christians live under the same roof. It's where Christians live together in the same place under the lordship and the leadership of the Lord Jesus himself. Those overwhelming demands, the fear of man I talked about, personal identity, discontentment, lack of trust can crowd out the best things in your life. So here's where I want to get to the heart, and I'll give you the last points, and we'll be through here in a minute. But the directives. How, how, do, you, how do you build a strong family in every season of life? Number one, as pastors, we must begin by looking at our own hearts, owning the reality that we have misplaced our priorities. It, it starts with personal inventory and personal repentance. If all you do when your family is disintegrating is look at somebody else inside the walls of your home and say, it ain't me, it's you, there's no fixing it. When you say, well, now, Pastor Raven, you don't know my wife, you don't know my family. Listen, I heard a guy say years ago, you know, you know the man who has the happiest wife? 
He, he, he's the man who loves her the most. She, she's, if she's loved and appreciated, cherished and nourished, as Ephesians 5 says, she can overcome a lot of things. And it all starts, the correction all starts with personal repentance. And once we acknowledge our sin to God, you know what we need to do? We need to sit down with our family. Not with excuses, but with the explanation of I'm wrong and I will do right. And when your wife, your children receive that kind of confession, there has to be change. And if they don't see any change, you know what's going to happen? Greater resentment is going to be built in their heart. So number one, it starts with me getting right. Number two, we must remember the biblical qualifications of being a faithful husband and a good father. Just, just flip over there just a moment, will you? Titus chapter 1, it's not but just two or three pages probably in your Bible. Titus chapter 1, look at verse 6 with me. It says, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, which is way second, um, 1 Timothy 3 started, then it says, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. It's it interesting that, that when God begins to talk about the office of the pastor, the bishop, the shepherd, the, the, whoever you want to call him, when, when God begins to talk about that, he always begins with the family. He, he, he doesn't begin, he doesn't, if you're there in Titus 1, he doesn't begin down there about steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not giving to wine, no striker, not giving filthy lucre, a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just. He, doesn't get, he, he begins right at where you live at every day. Where I live at every day. We need to understand that, that if we fail at home, we have failed. The only thing not, the only thing to disqualify a pastor from ministry is not just adultery and immorality. I, I believe there's some men disqualified because they're, they don't have children at home that they love and lead. I'm not talking about being a dictator. Listen to me. There is a great difference between being a dictator and being a dad. Amen. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. That's right. Our oldest son went off to Bible college and he didn't know that one of the administrative staff was in earshot of him and another freshman was complaining about the rules there at the college and, and, and Tim looked at his freshman classmate and said you ain't never seen rules till you lived at the Rabin house but he said you know what he said it was such a wonderful spirit I could tell it wasn't all about rules at the Rabin house see rules without relationship equals value rules with relationship equals response we, we have to we have to please God it, what did Peter say in 1 Peter 5, 3 to the, to the pastor? Be an insample to the flock. That doesn't mean you have a perfect home because there are no perfect homes. But you know what I believe God's doing in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1? God's setting up the pastor's home as a pattern home. It ain't perfect, but it's a pattern. I, I mean, give, here's a question. Can the people in your congregation port to your family as the pattern of what a Christian home should be? I mean, some unsafe friend there is asking, what, now what's, what's a Christian home? Can, can they look and say, well, it's like my pastor's home. 
Number three, we must decide to love our wife unconditionally. Understand her needs and challenges as well as delight in cherishing her. We must love her like Jesus loved her. Isn't that what Paul said? Husband, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That begins by making her the top priority outside of our relationship with the Lord. We don't have time to look at those verses, but 1 Peter 3, 7 says, dwell with them according to knowledge. You know what that means? That means you've got to learn your wife while you live with your wife. Sharon's told me on several occasions that, that she's the fourth woman I've been married to now. You say, whoa, wait a minute, why are you up here? Okay. She said, I'm just not the same 17-year-old young girl you married 43 years ago. And, and I'm instructed to dwell with her according to knowledge, according to understanding. I, I'm instructed to nourish and cherish her, her nourish and cherish her. That, that's to be supportive of her and to be sensitive to her. That speaks of tenderness and gentleness. I, I wish we had time, but we don't. Proverbs 5, verses 15 through 20 are some of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs. In, in verses 1 through 14 in Proverbs 5, Solomon warns against the adulterous woman. And in stunning contrast, he then zeroes in in verse 15 about drinking well out of your own cisterns. And he talks about the husband-wife relationship. And my favorite word, my favorite word when it comes to marriage is there in Proverbs 5. It's the word ravish. I love that word. You, you can't say ravish. It just, it just doesn't sound the same. He ravisheth her. He is deeply, unconditionally in love with her. Does your wife know the special place she holds in your heart? Number four. We must embrace the responsibility to shepherd, train, and instruct our children to love the Lord, live for Him. You know, the obvious elephant in the room when it comes to a pastor's home is how much time do you spend with your own children? If your children think you are repeatedly choosing others over them, they will grow frustrated and even provoked to anger and is Colossians 3 says they'll even become discouraged. And when our children are discouraged, it doesn't matter if it's a pastor's home or any other Christian home. When our children are discouraged, they become an easier prey and target for Satan. He can just move in when they're discouraged. And say, it ain't all that. It ain't what they've been telling you, your daddy's been trying to say to you. And can I just say to you, they need loving and leading whether they're toddlers or teenagers. Sometimes my wife calls it, in a session she teaches the ladies, she calls it TPS, tired parent syndrome. Sometimes they get up those teenage years and we just get tired. Listen to me, as long as they're in your home under your authority, you have to invest your time, effort, energy, and money in them. Not a, not a place to think, well, they ain't got it in the first 13 years of life. I don't think they'll get it now, so I'm just going to let them do what they want to do. <laughs> According to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're to instruct our children to know the Lord and who He is. 
We're to continually pour them to God's word. We're to make the Lord the central focus of our home. I still believe that family altars alters families. I believe you don't need just public worship and private worship. I think every family needs family worship. All of us sometimes think about that responsibility that Hebrews 13, 17 says about we're going to give account of the flock. I'm just here to remind us today we're going to give account for the family. So you and I have to repent. We have to love our wives. We have to shepherd train our children. And here's the delight, the delight, okay? Our family will be a close-knit unit while we are all in the home and after all the children have left our home. If your home is a happy place, your children want to be there. If it's a war zone, they may leave prematurely. I'm not excusing their departure, but I am placing the responsibility directly on us. Amen. Home ought to be a place where you grow in your love for the Lord and your love for each other. That's the next statement. Each member should be growing their love for the Lord and love for each other. You know, before my home was a pastor's home, it was a Christian home. So, it, 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 my children already expect me to react like Jesus would react. Not like my personality wants to react. And there is a conflict between those sometimes. If you, you keep pointing to the Lord, pointing to God's word like Deuteronomy 6 says, you, you, can, you can help to create in them a passion for God and a passion for God's word. And listen to me, if they leave your home and my home with a passion for God and a passion for God's word, we've been successful. I don't care what anybody else says. My son Philip has, and I didn't really even talk about it, but one of the things we did when our children were home is we got them to bring their friends to our home. And they weren't, they weren't embarrassed to do that, weren't ashamed to do that. They weren't thinking things were going to so, so one of Philip's friends now is married, has three children, I think I'm right. And uh, he's written me over the last um, 15 years. He's, he's written me and a note. And every once in a while I said, I just want to thank you, Pastor Raven, that every night I ever spend in your home, you always opened the Bible and you always sang and you always prayed with your children. And he said, I didn't grow up in a home like that. I grew up in a nominal Christian home. But he said, you know what I do every night? Every night I read the Bible. Every night I pray. Every night I sing with my children. Amen. See, you know why? Because I believe, you may not believe this, but I believe this all my heart. L-O-V-E is best spelled T-I-M-E. Don't give me no garbage or we give them quality time. I'm telling you, good five minutes don't take the place of five hours. Number, number three, our children, children will be challenged to reproduce our home in the home the Lord gives them. Our children, if, if you and I will do it right, they'll be challenged to reproduce our home in the home the Lord gives them. And the reality is this. You and I are just another link in the chain. 
My dad went to heaven last January. And uh, my wife and I, my sister and her two children, and my three children, were able to spend the last two, uh, two hours of his life with him. It's because of COVID. My mother only got to spend the last few days. He was in the hospital for about almost a month. We stood around while Daddy went from this world to be with the Lord. We sang, we prayed, we laughed, we told stories, we cried. And at his funeral, one of my boys said, what I've come to realize in the last few days, that what was in my granddaddy is in my daddy. And he said, I want it to be in me so it can be in my children. And I don't mean any disrespect, but I really don't care how many noses and how many nickels you have. Where are your children? Where's your wife? Are they serving with you? They're still at home. I know that primary meaning's not what I'm fixing to make it, but I have no greater joy than to know my children walk in truth. There's no greater joy than look back and see my two boys and see them up and down the hallway every day in our office suite. There's no greater joy. May God help us. Father, we live in a day and an hour where every family's under attack. But particularly our families in ministry. Satan, Satan gets in and destroys one of our families. He, 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 he has an inroad then to maybe 10 more families or 20 more families or 100 more families, whatever the size of our, our ministry is. Oh, Lord, help us to have strong families in every season of ministry. Help us not to give out, to give up, to give in. Help us to press on. In Jesus' name, amen.